I generally like to get Emily saying something <laughs> awkward awkward or off color or whatever to start every episode for her to go like, oh, do we have to give John, do we have to give John Anderson credit for this? <laughs> hey, welcome to the Highland Groupcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And today we get to talk about decisions. Now I'm excited to have a Highland lifer, long time pastor, faithful so servant, <laughs> and uh, just happens to be the man that I answer to in most everything, Pastor Mark Weibel, or as I like to call him, Coach. How you doing, Coach? Doing well. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Hey, I'm, I'm so glad that you're here with us. So glad that you're here with us. It really is great to be here. <laughs> Yes, sir. I've never, uh, this is history. I've never done a podcast. Wow. So this, is, this is your first one. First Man, one I feel ever. honored. Yeah, you should. This was all Emily's idea, so. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, it's not true. Are, are you excited about your first podcast? Oh, anytime I get to talk about the Lord and helping people, I get excited. See that? That's what I love about you. And that's probably, I think, what makes you better than me because I get nervous and anxious about it. I'm like, oh, I want people to like me. Um, <laughs> well, just, just always remember when Emily asked me, you know, about the podcast and she said, where do you listen to your podcast? I said, oh, generally in the car. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what, that there was a site that you went to to listen to podcast. I'm not real up on these things. But you do subscribe to the Highland Groupcast. I know because I helped you set it up. You didn't help me. You did it. <laughs> yes, I, I, did I do. Uh, well, hey, for the people out there who maybe don't know you, which I think is if they've been in Waco for a minute, they know who <laughs> you are. But for those out there who may not know you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do here at Highland? Uh, I'm Mark Weibel, married this August. will be 40 years to my wife, Lori. We have four children. We have four in-law kids now, three son-in-law, no, three daughters-in-law, one son-in-law. We have uh, six grandchildren here on earth, two in heaven. Um, and I've been on staff the June of this year. I started my 35th year. Um, I'm thinking about making a career out of it. I don't <laughs> want to rush into anything too quickly. But... Um, Going places. Yeah, I, I uh, was a coach by trade. All I was ever going to do was coach. And uh, in 1986, um, the Lord kind of tapped me on the shoulder through a various set of circumstances and placed me on the Highland Church staff. And I told him I would do it for one year as the youth pastor. And uh, 35 years later, here I am. And I have served as youth pastor, administrator, education director, assistant pastor, I mean, associate pastor, assistant pastor. And now I'm the grow pastor, which means I'm over um, all of the age-graded ministries that uh, that Highland has. And um, I, I'm very passionate about Jesus, family, basketball. Uh, I'm the chaplain of the Baylor men's basketball team, one of the chaplains of the Baylor men's basketball team. And um, I run an international ministry called International Hoops for Hope. Yeah. One of my favorite things that you say often, and I would love for people that are listening to hear is, what, what do you think God's favorite sport is? I don't think it is. I know, I'm, <laughs> God's favorite sport is basketball. I mean, it's yeah, okay. year round, indoors, never have to interrupt it. Well, except this season, we got it interrupted because of Corona. But uh, um, yeah, no rain outs, no snow outs. Yeah, you just play. 
And I bet if you were to figure it up, you've got roughly 55, 60% of the staff who has not been alive as long as you've been on staff at Highland. How do you, how do you feel about that when new little youngsters come in? I feel really old. <laughs> uh, um, it's, I, I was telling Pastor John just the other day, um, uh, I, I said, you know, it, I had just kind of an epiphany because in 1986, when I came on church staff, there was a whole new group of church staff within the first year of me getting on staff. Um, and um, it was like this new, vibrant, you know, young, growing staff. And uh, we all have aged out and I've outlasted everybody. And uh, in so doing, um, I, I was walking through the halls the other day and there was this new vibe, just kind of a young, I kept waiting for people to come riding down the halls in skateboards and things like that. Just a real kind of a, a it's a, it's a new, uh, I'm not going to say era, but it's a, it's a new, very young, uh, exciting uh, staff. And uh, it's just, it's fun to be on the backside of it, to be on the older end of it and to think, okay, so now I know what these people were thinking about me 35 years ago. The seasoned staff was thinking about me 35 years ago when I and my comrades came on at first, came on at first. And now I get to look and see this, this kind of new generation that's come in and it's, it's exciting. It's a great time to be a part of Highland. Yeah. Well, and I can definitely say that you are a gift to us. You are um, in many ways a leader in wisdom and context for us. And so I'm always uh, grateful and think often about the things that you say to us at Stafford Chain. And and we could probably just spend uh, a day just letting you regale us with stories about Highland and about uh, the way the Lord has changed and molded and shaped you and your uh, tenure as a shepherd of God's people. But because we have a point and a purpose for today, we're going to jump into it. And so today, like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about decisions. And I think, you know, for me, one of the things that uh, that I'm always um, kind of cognizant of, cognizant of, especially in a, in a, in a church like Highland, where we've got so many, uh, young adults and we've got (laughs) so many, um, college students, uh, who are coming into, uh, times of transition. I just, I, I focus and really meditate a lot on first Thessalonians four, three, which is, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And so my tendency is in the decisions that I make, especially like those amoral or the ones that aren't right or, and aren't wrong. I, I don't know. And maybe this is to my fault. I, I don't know that I think about them and submit them to the Lord as much as I should. And so really today what we're hoping is to just help people figure out how to make godly decisions, not be paralyzed, um, but then also not be um, brash in rushing into things. And I think, man, you have got so much wisdom. And so I can't wait to uh, hear and see all that the Lord has for us through you today. So I'm going to let Emily ask you some questions and then we're just going to let you talk. All right. Uh, So kind of like what Jeremy was talking about with the revealed will of God in scripture through commands um, in the, you know, the years that I did with college ministry, that was often something that I felt like I was learning how to, to redirect people's 
people's attention to that. I think we can become so consumed with wondering what is God's, you know, what, you know, which job does God want me to take? Does God want me to date this person or this person? And, you know, and those things, especially in times of transition or uncertainty, because they are significant decisions and they affect a lot of, you know, the course of your life um, to be so consumed with that, that we start neglecting the revealed commands and will of God. So, um, you know, how would you describe as, you know, scripture speaks to two types of God's will, um, you know, his hidden will, and then his revealed will of command uh, is kind of two names that, you know, a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me have <laughs> called, referred to them as, but can you explain the difference between the two? You know, in Deuteronomy 29, 29 is what you're talking to uh, talking about. It says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all of the words of this law. Um, secret things, the hidden things. Um, I think it's important to understand um, that there is a mystery uh, to some of God, to the things of God, that we just won't know. That there, there. In Isaiah 55, it says His ways are higher than our ways; His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so, there is a part of the will of God that He is sovereign, and there's a certainness to that. And in Isaiah 46, 9 says, I am God and there is no other. I declare the end from the beginning and I say, I will accomplish all of my purposes. And we don't always see that. We can't always just look and go, okay, well, it says this in scripture. So, so therefore, if I do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, then A, B, C, X, Y, Z is going to be the result. There is a hiddenness uh, to the to the time to the will of God, the timing of God. You know, that's that's part of God's hidden will. It, it puts us in believers in a position of trust and faith. We have to trust that God is in control and have faith that He's going to accomplish what He says. Um, you know, Acts 1, 6, the, uh, when Jesus had, had been resurrected and he was having his last time with his disciples, they're asking him, okay, gosh, he was dead. They're defeated. It's over with. All of a sudden he's resurrected and they're going, oh my gosh, they have one question of Jesus. And they say in Acts 1, verse uh, 6, they said, Lord, is this the time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus looked back at them and said, it's not for you to know the times or epics which the Father has fixed on his own authority. In other words, that that's hidden. You won't know that. You don't get to know the times. And then he says, but, anytime there's a but, it says you better pay attention to what I'm fixing to say. But you will receive power. You won't know the times and the epics, but you will receive power for when? For today, for the day in which you live, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And, and so that, that hidden will, is the hidden things of God, we can't know. We, we just won't know the time. When is Jesus coming back? Is this the end times? Is the, you know, will he back, be back on Tuesday? And all that kind of stuff. That is stuff that we cannot know, but we can know that we have the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to lead us and guide us into all truth. And with that leading us into all truth, that will also lead us to fulfill what he says in Acts 1.8, that we will be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So no one knows the time. Basically, I look at it and say, you know, stop worrying about the times. Stop worrying about the hidden things. It's just to get on the business of being the witnesses wherever the Lord sends us. Um, and, and some things we just have to understand, some things are unknowable. I mean, that's just, we just have to be okay with that, which, you know, the National Enquirer mind in each one of us inquiring people want to know, 
we, we won't know all of that. And we have to come to the point where we're willing to say, okay, the hidden things are, are hidden. However, the decreed will, um, these are the things that has spoken, God has spoken to us through scripture that he wants us to follow. You know, if you want a good list, just look at Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and in the various other commands in scripture, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Live in peace. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. Flee immorality. Take care of the poor. Be a witness. Go to the nations. All of these things are his revealed will. So there are the hidden things and then there are the revealed things in scripture. And I, I think that those are the difference. The ones that are revealed, we can look at. I am a list kind of a person. I like making checklists. Okay, I do this, this, this. Kind of gives us that to do. Um, those are the revealed things. The hidden things are, are, are still God's will. He is going to accomplish his will. He is coming back. He's working behind the scenes. He works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But we don't see how that is working out, especially. So to me, that's the difference that I see. Yeah, which I think is really good. Like, um, as I, I mean, the Romans eight, the he works all things to go, uh, together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Um, excuse me. I'm always trying to help people understand that that means all things. Uh, and our, again, our goal, our hope is that the Lord will be incredibly clear in this step or that. But what we do have, even as you said, is that revealed will. These are the commands that he's given us. And in the absence of sort of clarity here, what we have to understand is if we're not walking in disobedience, um, that the Lord is powerful enough and in control enough to use all things that happen, even if we make the wrong decision, which is never the goal, right? But he he's able to use even that for our good to use all things. And that all things really does mean all things, right? Even my stupidity, even my wrong decisions. And so we submit those things to the Lord, uh, but then we also trust that he's sovereign and we walk in those revealed commands. And one of the questions I wanted to ask both of you guys about is uh, just, can you give an example of a time when God used his, you know, commands in scripture, his revealed will, the things that you know that he has called you to do on scripture to make a decision that's non-moral, right? So using kind of what, what God has told you in scripture, um, like how has that helped you knowing that? How has that helped you to make a non-moral decision? You have any examples? Oh, the first one that comes to my mind real recently and uh, used to really get hung up on decisions like this, but uh, basically we bought a car for my wife, Lori. Um, and you go, well, you know, okay, that's not a moral decision. You're buying a car, but why do you have to pray about that? And then, you know, the Lord says we're supposed to pray about everything. So here is how I applied scripture to that. Number one, God's, God's will instructs me to live in peace with my wife, to take care of her, to look out for her safety. That is my role as a shepherd, as a, as the husband. And so, um, I I'm, I'm looking, I'm evaluating the car is beginning to break down. The car is getting up there in mileage. Uh, we need to begin to consider, okay, we need to, I, I need to live in understanding with my wife. I need to make a provision that we're going to take care of her uh, and, and buy a car that would work for her safety. Second thing is, is God instructs me, God's word or God's will instructs me to live within my means. And so uh, we had begun a process of putting money away uh, with a view toward we knew that someday we were going to have to re uh, you know replace a car. 
And so living within my means, I we put money away and we said, okay, we have this for whenever cars break down, we can get them fixed. Or if it comes to the point where it, it doesn't become feasible to fix it, then we can purchase another car. The third thing is, is that God's uh, God's will or God's revealed will instructs me that I am to give to the church and to ministries, that I am to sow into the kingdom of God. And so I, I took a look at those three and I said, okay, first of all, I need to live in understanding with my wife, make her have safety. I need to live within my means and not, you know, go out and buy something that I can't afford. And then uh, I, I need to make sure that I am continuing, uh, that my decision here doesn't affect my my decision or the instruction for me to give to the church and the ministry. So I, I knew we needed a car for Lori's safety, not one to, to break down. Uh, we'd been diligent to to obey God's command, His revealed will, to live within our means. So we'd been putting money away, and and uh, purchasing this car did not affect at all our ability to give to uh, uh, the tithe, the church, and then to ministries and missions above that. And so um, we had done our due diligence. We began to shop. And 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 uh, we we did research and we prayed um, and you know what we we went and bought the car. It wasn't like you know God. One morning we got up and God wrote on the wall, you know, buy this. I mean, it, it wasn't that. It was just, and I really don't think God cared if I if if we chose a blue car, a red car, a white car. I don't think He really cared if it was a Ford or a Honda or a Toyota. I don't think He cared if it was an SUV or a sedan. Uh, I think He He cared that the intention of my heart was and our heart was that we provide for my wife we live within our means uh, and and that we not hinder in any way our ability to sow into the kingdom of God and then he just left the choice to us and so it came down to what do you like huh and she kind of liked this one car and so we went out and we test drove it and waited for the right color to come in and then we bought it so that was a a, a scriptural response yeah. to a non-moral decision. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Uh, I think for Stacy and I, one of the biggest things that we wrestled with, I'm, I'm a public school guy. Like I, I was a public school teacher before we, uh, in a previous life before I, I came into ministry. And so I've always been about, uh, public school. And I remember when we, uh, you know, when we lived in Denton, it everything was 100% public school, always public school. And then uh, Waco, we were 100% public school. Uh, and then as our kids kind of um, began to present just different issues, different uh, kind of struggles, um, there was always this war. Well, this doesn't seem to be working, but we're public school folks. And so there's no other way that we could do it. Uh, we knew that homeschool wasn't a thing that, that we were ever going to do. But um, the opportunity presented itself for uh, our oldest to kind of go to private school. Uh, and I just remember the wrestle with that. Right. And so, uh, again, it's not right or wrong to send your uh, kid to private school. It's not right or wrong to. Um, homeschool your child. It's not right or wrong to, to send your kid to public school. But for us in our hearts, we had kind of made this, this thing of public schooling. And so I remember the wrestle that we had when we were trying to figure out, okay, are we going to, are we going to put him 
in uh, this private school and go against everything we've ever said that we believed. <laughs> and then again, I, I think kind of like Mark, we just began to really think through what has the Lord commanded us of our children. And I don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it says that we're uh, to send our kids to public school, but I do see places in the scriptures where it says that we're to train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it, which doesn't have a whole lot to do with their schooling. It has a lot to do with what we're teaching and training them in, in the home. Um, we see that we're to talk, uh, about the covenants and the promises of God as we, uh, as we eat and as we lay down and as we, uh, walk along the way, we're supposed to teach them the statutes of the Lord. And all of those things can be done, whether they're in public school or private school or homeschool. And so as we began to reassess one, uh, the revealed will of God in the scriptures and two places where we had kind of made, um, maybe sort of, uh, an idol or something, yeah, standard of righteousness and in in placing our kids as missionaries in the, uh, in the public school. I think the Lord was just really sweet in giving us a piece about, oh no, 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 no. What we should hold up above all things is, uh, training our children in righteousness and whether they're in a private school or a public school or a homeschool, the school's job isn't to train our children in righteousness. The school's job is not to to raise up uh, our children in the way that they should go. Um, but that's our job and our role. And so it kind of took a lot of weight off of us to be able to go, okay, so we can, um, we can have them in public school and, and God's not going to be angry or disappointed about that. We can have them in a private school. God's not going to be angry or disappointed in that. We can have them homeschool and God's not going to be angry or disappointed in that. As long as we are, teaching and training our children in godliness and righteousness, teaching them his statutes and uh, discipling them as our primary ministry. And so for us, it was, it took a little while to break that down. We were here two years, I think, before we actually uh, made that decision. But um, yeah, I mean, and I think we have a tendency to moralize a lot of things. And so um, you have those amoral things, right? That everybody like, like buying a car and things like that. And, and we, kind of think of them amorally, like God doesn't care. Like we can have a tendency to do that. Well, God doesn't care about whether or not I buy a car and he might, like we don't seek him. But I think even the, the, the situation that you described with you and Lori, I think is a good godly way to think about an amoral decision. And then there are times when we tend to moralize amoral things like Stacy and I were doing with school. It was, well, no, this is, this is the best and most godly way to do it. Although there are thousands of people who would disagree with that, but we were moralizing this choice in a way that I think wasn't necessarily honoring to the Lord, but it sure did make us feel good about our stance. And so, um, like kind of what I'm hearing from, you know, both of your examples is a lot of this has to do with whose kingdom am I wanting to build, right? Like in this, you know, in my decision-making process, uh, not that we have to analyze every decision, but if I'm living a lifestyle that's uh, not in submission to the Lord or not in a desire to build his kingdom, then the amoral decisions are going to reflect that. And so the way that we go about buying a car, the way we go about where we put our kids in school or about what job we take or um, how to handle things in our home or business life um, is going to reflect kind of a posture of heart. And so, uh, you know, Proverbs, um, I'm sorry, in Matthew 6, 10, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, you know, 
pray in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. And that goes so much against uh, our fleshly desire, which is my kingdom come, Emily's kingdom come. I want to be the king, the queen of my own little kingdom here and my will be done. And so I think that that heart response of, am I trying to build my own kingdom and establish my will on earth or am I submitting and seeking the kingship and the lordship of God? And that's reflected in our decisions. Um, so how does the posture of our heart before God influence the way we make decisions? Hmm. All right. <laughs> uh, that is a great question. Um, I, I think the, the study in Romans that we're in right now really speaks to this in Romans 8, verse 5 and 7. It says, those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the, the, the things of the spirit, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God because it's unable to. In and of ourselves, we are unable to say these words, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, when we are walking according to the spirit, we're able to say that, Lord, we're able to say, God, um, I am, I am subjugating my will to yours. Our fleshly, pre-Christ, natural tendency is to want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, as soon as I want it, you know, all that kind of stuff. But when we come with that attitude of saying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, it shows a willingness just, just to say, I'm not in control. Uh, I am, Paul uh, refers to himself many times as a slave to Christ. And that's not a moniker that we like to wear. Um, but to be honest with you, that that's who we are. We are slaves of Christ. And when we simply say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, it shows a position of humility. And scripture tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James chapter four, verse six tells us that. So as we adopt this attitude, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It really reflects the attitude that Jesus had from the garden when he was in the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, do you realize that... Uh, that is the only recorded time in history that we know of God's will and Jesus's will being at odds because uh, Jesus said, Lord, let this cup from me pass from me. In other words, I don't want to do this. It's not my will to walk through this. Lord, let this cup. My will is don't let me do this. And then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He, as God on earth, subjugated his own will to the will of God the Father to, to accomplish the kingdom purposes that he was sent to do. Uh, so when he prayed that, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but yours be done, he was simply saying, God, I'm, I'm yielding to you. I'm yielding myself. And that is an attitude that when we pray, uh, let your kingdom come, your will be done. We're saying the same thing. We're reflecting the, we're reflecting the attitude of Christ. Um, Lord, I'm, I, I, I don't have the answers. Uh, I have my desires. I mean, and, and it's one thing, you know, our, our heart attitude must still be, we can argue our case before the Lord. Um, you know, when we go before the Lord, we can argue our case, stating our desires, but it always has to be accompanied with that attitude of, but not my will, but yours be done. Uh, because we, our, our greatest desire as Christians uh, is for his will to be accomplished in our lives because we ultimately are convinced that his ways are better than our ways. And, and we have to be comfortable with that, that we've got to be able to say, God, you know what's best. Your ways are higher. I don't understand them. I submit. So, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. But a lot of times we'll throw our own 
but but if you're taking opinions, let me go ahead and tell you what the, I think you should do. And that's fine as long as we come back to, but Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, even just dealing with the posture of heart, I, I think we can see in scriptures like places where um, maybe I'm over here and I'm asking the Lord to give me wisdom or to give me direction about this thing. But what God is saying, no, no, I want to deal with this over here. So you look at First uh, Peter 3, right? And, and there's this instruction to husbands and you, you need to live with your uh, wives in an understanding way. You need to live with them uh, and you walk with them and you encourage them as the weaker vessel because they're co-heirs with you in grace and you do these things. And it says, and this has always been wild to me, so that your prayers won't be hindered. Right. And, and so I think we can have a tendency to be walking unfaithfully in, in different areas of our life, but then asking the Lord, hey, give me wisdom and direction over here. And what the Lord may say at times is, like, I, I, I don't I don't want to deal with this right now, but what I do want to deal with is this. And so uh, there's a very real sense, I think, that we can get from the scriptures that it's, um, man, we, we do have the revealed will of God and in the absence of the, of the secret will, those things that we can't know, or even some of those decisions and directions of the Lord. I think sometimes before he's going to give us those things, he's going to say, I want to deal with your heart in these particular areas. We can talk about the job that you take. We can talk about the city you live in. We can talk about who you're going to marry and we can talk about those things, but none of these things are going to be healthy and right if we don't deal with these things that are going on in your heart. And so I, I think some of the time, um, the reason that we have such a hard time making decisions is because there is, um, at times sin in our life that we're walking in and we're not dealing with, but we are asking the Lord, Hey, I I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to, I don't want to draw your attention here, but I I am going to ask you to. And and so I guess kind of the question is like, why would we be so concerned with God's will in one area? while completely discounting his will in another. And so that's why I love the story of, of Jesus, right? It's the, uh, I don't want to do this. If there's any way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will. And so I'm, I'm submitted completely to you in all areas of my life, including this one in our and, and, and so for us, especially when we're dealing with wisdom issues, I think it's really important that we take stock of our heart, take stock of our lives uh, and see, man, are there areas where I'm just not concerned at all with the will of the Lord, but I'm really specific about, I'm not going to do anything until I hear from him about this when I'm just going to ignore this issue that's going on in my heart over here. So I think the posture of our heart, um, both towards the Lord and the decision that we're asking about, but then also uh, even kind of apart from those things that we're trying to gain wisdom on is, is my heart submitted to the Lord in all? That's what I love about Reuven and Janet Ross, right? They, um, they, they talk about the blessing that comes from a fully submitted heart. Um, and, and just the way they talk about their relationship and the way that they hear from the Lord from a posture of, I'm going to give over every, there is nothing in my heart that is held back from him. I want him to have all of it. And so if I'm asking a question about whether or not I should, move from this place to this place and God says, um, I, I, I want to deal with this, then they're going to say, okay, great. Forget about this for now and let's deal with with this because that's what the Lord has said. And so I think for us, just being obedient to the things that God has commanded already um, and then really kind of seeking that wisdom, right? If anybody lacks wisdom, 
let him ask and the God of all wisdom, he will give it to you and he'll do it richly. He'll lavish that on you. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the posture of our heart is really important, but not just the posture of our heart in what we're asking for, but the posture of our heart towards the Lord in the moment that we're asking. Hmm. I love it. It's so good. Uh, in Proverbs 16 two, uh, it says all the ways of a man are clean and in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Uh, and so I think that as humanity <laughs> in our flesh, our, our general assumption is my motives are pure. Like <laughs> my motives are right. Like I, you know, we have that idea, but ultimately the Lord is the one who knows our hearts. He, he weighs the intentions, the motivations, the thoughts of our hearts. Um, and so, uh, what are some questions, you know, one of the purposes of this podcast is to be able to equip Highlanders to be able to walk with others through difficult things. And right now, a lot of people are facing some heavy decisions, um, you know, because of some of the implications of the pandemic, whether that's in their businesses or, you know, decisions about school, you know, you know, you bringing up the school example is so timely as far as, you know, am I going to homeschool my child or am I going to go this route or that route? Um, and so, you know, as you know, we're kind of walking with our friends, you know, through some of these decisions that they're having to make, what are some questions that we can help them um, to just kind of assess the motives that are, that are driving their decisions? Um, well, I, I thought of a, a few, uh, one, I, I, first thing would be, is my desire in line with God's expressed written will? Um, that's the first thing I, I'm going to take my desire or the decision and I'm going to hold it up to scripture. And I'm going to say, um, as I'm, uh, as my way is clean before the Lord. My plan is right before the Lord. My desire is my desire, right? Uh, is it in line with God's expressed will? Uh, second thing I'm going to do is, is my desire open to submission to other people, to those that I walk in community with, or, uh, cause I find this a lot. I find people have an idea of what they want to do and, and they'll, find a scripture that gives them backing and then they'll make that decision and move forward on it without ever incorporating anybody else in that decision uh, and and having somebody go, well, now, wait a minute, ho- hold on, because you interpret the scripture this way, but have you thought about what the whole council of scripture says in, in this, you know? So um, I, I think it's really important um, uh, to, to say, am I open to, to having my desire submitted to others? And then third, uh, thirdly, are people I'm in community with in agreement with my decision that I'm about to make. Um, It it is so important that we live in community um, and, and, and do things not as an isolated person. Uh, those who get isolated um, can can so easily drift. So I, I think it's important to, that uh, that not only is it open to submission, but then we put it forward to community, and community says, "Okay, yeah, we really feel good about this." Um, is is it God's timing? You know, you can know the right thing to do, uh, but it isn't the the right timing. So when is the timing right? And and I mean, I, the example I have on that one is is that there was a teaching going around when I was 16 years old about the blessing of celibacy, the blessing of being single. And then we had a guy in our youth group that just stood up and and taught, and he said, "You each need to consider that, and is that something God would call you to?" And literally, he led us through a time of, of you know a few weeks of really praying. Well, within a couple of weeks, I knew that it was God's will for me to get married as a 16-year-old. It was not God's timing. 
I didn't go out and get married because I knew God's will. I had to wait until God orchestrated the right steps. It was 10 years later that it was the right timing. So it's important to know not only God's will, but God's timing, the right timing. Uh, And then uh, another question I would ask is, will the result of my decision bring honor to the name of the Lord or defamement? Will it cause hurt, pain, confusion, or rejoicing in those affected by my decision? So those are some questions that I that I ask. Mm, that's really good. Yeah, I think that's that's mm. awesome. I agree one hundred percent. I and I, you know, I think the questions that I would ask are are fairly similar. Um, you know, I was I I think Jeremiah seventeen nine is something is like a verse that just kind of rattles around in my head all the time. Right, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, and so with the understanding that my heart is sick, I think the the beauty of the gospel is that it should shape and inform every single decision I make. I filter everything through the lens of the gospel. And I know that, um, you know, especially when I did student ministry, I would have these conversations with my students. They're like, Hey, I'm, I'm about to graduate and I'm going to go to this school. Um, and because I'd walked with them and I knew kind of the struggles that they walked through kind of one of the questions I would ask was, um, well, have you found some good churches around there? Have you, well, I haven't really looked into that. And I'm like, but you've, you've made the decision that this is the school that you want to go to, but you have no idea if when you get there, you'll be able to find the type of community that you need to walk through these particular struggles. And so for me, it's much less of kind of a, should you, or shouldn't you go to this school, but maybe what you should do before you just sell out to that place 100% is figure out, man, am I going to have community around me? Uh, Am I going to have people who are going to encourage me and spur me on to love and good deeds? Or am I going to be all by myself and just kind of isolated? Um, And so getting people to think about those things uh, is generally kind of where I'll, I'll begin to press like what what will that look like? Um, again, I think Mark's uh, like, why am I doing this thing? Am I doing this to exalt me? Uh, am I doing this to make myself feel good? Am I doing that? You know, I had a, had a friend who was going, uh, out of country and he was going to a place where there were, um, some things legal there that are not legal here. And, and his question was, do you, is it okay if I do that while I'm there? And I'm like, well, that's a one. <laughs> I'm glad you're asking the question. That's a, that's a great question to ask. But then the number two is it, why would you be doing it? Like, why would you do it? Are, are you doing it because you think like this would be the way that you honor and glorify the Lord? Or is this a way that you can, uh, it's something I've never done before. I'd like to try it and kind of figure it out. Uh, and so if you're filtering it through, am I doing this to honor and to glorify the Lord, to see Jesus exalted, to see his kingdom furthered, and you can say yes to that, then man, you you do all of that that you want. But if you are doing it to feed into your flesh, to feel some kind of way or to not feel some kind of way, then then I think you know the answer to that. 
Uh, and so just kind of really helping people figure out the motivations behind, because again, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick above all else who can understand it. I know that I can't understand my heart so much of the time, but it's the, the kindness of God and the gift of grace that I find in community Mm -hmm. where people are help, uh, able to help me understand my motivations. And so I have the scriptures to help me understand where my heart is off. And I have community to help me understand where my heart is off. And sometimes what I find is man, my heart really is in the right place. And I wasn't trusting that. And because of good community and because of, um, good, you know, submitting it to the Lord in prayer and, and through the study of the scriptures, it really is kind of affirmed and confirmed, but you know, I'll be honest, like there, there have been things that I haven't done because I, I, not because I didn't want to do them, but because the people around me said, I so to, to Mark's story about the car, Stacy and I were looking at a minivan when we were looking to foster and adopt for the first time. And, uh, we had this one that it was decked out, had all the bells and whistles, nice leather, and we had justified it in our head. Uh, but we had this sweet couple that we, that we had said, Hey, we're going to submit our finances. We're going to do those things. And sometimes we're going to call you and we're going to say, Hey, we need you to talk us out of this. Uh, and so I just called Huntley and I was like, Hey man, here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're doing. And he talked us down off Mm -hmm. the ledge and we ended up going with the, the van that didn't have leather, didn't have the GPS. It did have a radio and an air conditioner, which is what we needed. (laughs) Um, but we didn't get it. And so again, I think the idea of, I'm not going to close my hand around anything, but I'm going to submit those things to the Lord and submit them to the community that he's gifted me with. And I'm going to trust that that's for my good and not because God is withholding some pleasure from me. So is it exalting the Lord or is it exalting my flesh? No, I love it. In Proverbs, isn't it? I don't Somewhere is written. (laughs) Somewhere. In the abundance of counselors, there is safety. And, you know, I'm so thankful. There are maybe there's a handful of women that have permission (laughs) to tell me when I'm doing something foolish (laughs) or when I'm making a decision that they think this is not okay. Um, and so I have these friends that I will often go to and I will say, you have permission to ask me all the questions you can think of about this decision that we're about to make (laughs) go. And then I just listen to them because I know they love the Lord. They love me. They want to see me, um, you know, you know, walking (laughs) with him closely. Uh, so I'm so thankful for them. Uh, so moving on to our next question again, in light of ministering to other people around, us, what principles could a believer offer a friend in decision-making time, especially when it's a heavy or really difficult or significant decision? Because uh, some of these amoral decisions are significant, right? So, you know, if, if the way that, you know, you had gone about buying a vehicle ended up being, you know, like a, a decision made based on, well, you know, I want the one that's all decked out, then that could have had a severe impact on your finance, finances, your family stability, even, you know, your relationship relationship with Stacy, all of these things. Um, and so when we're, you know, when we approach a friend, uh, you know, how do we help them make those decisions? And this kind of, I feel like this question goes along with what you guys have been saying. So I apologize if this is repetitive, but what are some steps or practices that you found helpful, uh, in making a decision? I mean, the obvious ones, you know, pray, read the word, those kind of things. That's all good Sunday school answers. Um, to your point about, uh, 
uh, wisdom in a multitude of counselors. That's Proverbs fifteen twenty two. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I had that. He has that memorized. No, the reference. Well, and and I mean, it's it is the the thing about it is is that and and Jeremy said it so well. Being willing to be talked off the ledge, as he said, um, so many times. I mean, I, I I like to think that I make right decisions, and so when po- somebody points out the fact that I'm wrong in my decision, I really don't like it very much. Um, but I have to be willing to acknowledge that I can miss it. Um, and one of the ways that I, so, so yeah, pray, if you're telling, talking to people, pray, read the word, you know, get counsel, that kind of stuff. But, but I, I, I like to take things out and look at them and I like to put, uh, say what I, what I run the pros and cons. What, so, you know, what are the pros, what are the cons? But I like to look at it from not pros and cons just from my side, but from multiple aspects. What, what are the pros and cons of in the community or pros? And, I mean, yeah, what, whatever it is, not just through my eyes, but through my kids' eyes, my grandkids' eyes, the church's eyes, those different kind of things. Um, but, but then beyond all of that, because I think people probably that are listening to this podcast probably have a pretty good idea how to do that. Uh, I, I think that sometimes then it's, it, we have to just avoid the paralysis of analysis. Sometimes we just, you know, I, I counseled a dude one time that he, he called the church and he needed some uh, help benevolently. And I knew him. I knew him to be an able-bodied person. And he was without a job. And uh, I was like, you know, dude, so, you know, are you okay? Is there something? Well, we just, you know, I'm waiting on the Lord to reveal his will about a job. And, I mean, it had been like, you know, a year. (laughs) And and I'm like, you know, the, the deal is, is that while you wait... Scripture indicates that you should be working. If you are able-bodied, you need to be working. Uh, it may not be the job that you want. It may not be the job that you end up being at. But you need to be faithful. Uh, to. But he was just paralyzed. He was just paralyzed of, well, I can't do anything because I can't make up my mind and I'm just waiting for God to come through. So I, I, I do this deal called the Get Smart Principle. Um, if you uh, grew up when I grew up, there was a Maxwell TV show called Smart the, in 99. Uh, Maxwell Smart, get, get Smart. No, the 99. Come on, girl. That's the new one. I'm talking about the get, oh, get you're smart. Talking about like the, the old, original the original. Uh, yeah, Don Adams, the real Maxwell Smart, <laughs> not Steve Carell. She's so young. But, uh, no, I loved. I thought uh, her name was 99. Yeah, Agent 99. Yeah, uh, no, but yeah, but but oh, Agent. Oh, I thought you meant 1999. Oh no, Agent 99. Okay, yeah, sorry, misunderstood that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. Um, uh, if you remember that opening scene, he drives up, he gets out of his car, he starts going down some stairs, and then he just starts walking toward these doors. And when it came on, I, I was, you know, I had, I was not a real guy out in the world a whole bunch. It amazed me. I thought doors, you had to turn knobs to open. And and I saw this guy, and he would walk toward this door, and it would just open. And I was like, that just freaked me out. And then he walked toward another, and it would just open. And I was like, how is that happening? I, I could not understand it. And as I, as I have matured, um, I, I, I have developed this deal called the Get Smart Principle. As long as I am acting in the best effort that I have under the unction of the Holy Spirit, um, and knowing that there's freedom in the Lord, uh, not license to sin, but freedom in the Lord, that I, I can begin walking toward a door. And if the door opens, I walk through it. If the door doesn't open, I don't I don't walk through it, can't walk through it, don't try to force it open. I back up and I walk, walk toward another door until a door opens. And as, the, as long as the doors continue to open, I continue to walk forward. Um, 
And, and, you know, so, so if there's, what if there's two doors that open you know, side by side, I think it's the Lord saying, you got a choice. Do you want job A, job B? Do you want car A, car B? I mean, you know, it, it's, it really doesn't, I don't think the Lord is all that hep up on, you know, do you, are you supposed to be an accountant at firm A or firm B? I mean, you know, he, he wants you wherever you are to be actively being an agent of his peace and his, and bringing value to that organization. So, um, I, I call it, you know, for me, it's the get smart principle. And then, uh, I think you rest on God's promise. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. So you just do your best to seek the Lord, trust him not to allow you to miss him. God, God doesn't play hide and seek. God plays seek and find. When you seek me, you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And so only you know if you're seeking for the Lord with all your heart, but seek for him with all your heart. And you know what? If you miss it, if you miss it, guess what? That's where grace comes in. God's grace is so good. And he just goes, hey, you gave it your best. Let's go. Let's learn from that and let's move forward. And, and, and then the last thing I say is John, first uh, John five, three says the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. And we just get so fretful sometimes. We just, Oh, I just can't, I can't make decisions. It's so hard, man. They're not burdensome. Just chill, relax, make decisions, be under the unction again, under the unction of the word, under the direction of the spirit. Um, and, and under a joint community, move forward, get up and do something. Yeah, so fun story. Uh, at the high school that I went to, there was a tradition where when the seniors graduated, they would give a departing gift to the juniors, right? So like they were paired up with, like a senior was paired up with a junior. So when I was a junior, I was given a magic eight ball because I was notorious for being indecisive, completely paralyzed by feel, fear, or when I would make a decision, I would easily go back on it because of fear or whatever. Um, so I feel like this probably isn't that uncommon, especially with my generation. Um, but how would you encourage someone who is regularly paralyzed by that? And, and you kind of spoke to that a little while ago. Uh, but, you know, how would you guys encourage somebody in, to, uh, in the words of Kevin DeYoung's book, just do something? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh Matthew six thirty three right? It's seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you, right? Um, and that comes in a section of scripture where he's talking about, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Don't be anxious about what you're going to be, uh, what you're going to eat. Um, but um, trust in the Lord. And I think for us, and, and I've done this in an episode uh, already when we talked about anxiety, anxiety, but I think the anxiousness that we feel when we're trying to make the right decision um, is, is, is that we can get anxious. And because we're anxious, uh, we can really be paralyzed. But that idea that uh, I am going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I know that the wisdom and the strength and the courage that I need to do those things, those things will be added. Um, but I think they'll be added in God's timing. And that does not mean that, um, yeah. So I have a lot of friends. One was a missionary and they had been on the mission field for like five or six years. Uh, and they had just been through it in the first five years. And we're sitting down 
and it's me and a, and a group of other elders. And one of the things that they said is this, that if God would have shown me in year one, everything that I would walk through in those five years, I never would have gone. So sometimes it's the kindness of the Lord to keep some of those things veiled rather than just reveal it all to you at once. And so for me, it's always that let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as long as we're doing that, whether I am an accountant at firm A or firm B or whether I'm living in city A or city B or whether I'm dating girl A or girl B, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means that I'm submitting my life to his statutes and his commands, not because those things make Jesus love me more, because he loves me so much. He's given me his spirit and his spirit empowers me to walk in that way wherever I find myself. And so um, I want to be kind of like Paul (laughs) and just say, I consider all of these things rubbish next to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. And so those decisions, those, um, those trials, those afflictions, those difficulties, all those things compared to knowing Jesus, seeking him and his righteousness, um, those things are always going to be secondary, but I know that man, there's a lot of anxiety in it, which again, you mentioned the, the young book. I would, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're a young adult or you're about to graduate from high school or you're about to graduate from college, I say, find a guy like Mark Weibel, who's got a lot of wisdom, um, and just kind of attach yourself to him. Um, but also grab that book and read it. It's a great book. Um, and it just kind of helps with, man, mm-hmm. I need to do something. I mean, even the guy that you brought up, that's like, uh, I'm waiting for God to reveal this job to me. I'm just waiting for a year. I've, I've counseled guys like that who had families, they had children and, and they were eating. I'm like, but God has revealed to you that your role in your job is to take care of your family and you're not doing that. And so get a job and feed your kids and then allow the Lord to, <laughs> to work in the side. So yeah. And one thing that, uh, I found a lot as you know, the Lord kind of convicted me of this paralyzing indecision is that often I was trying to almost, you know, I, it's like, I wanted a magic eight ball. I wanted to know which is going to be the easiest one, which is, which one is going to, which option is going to give me the least amount of trials or suffering. And I think we can often think, Oh, I must've made a bad decision because this did not turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. Right. And that's not true. That's just not biblical. So now when you look at Paul's life or like any of the disciples, (laughs) like their call, their lot, what the Lord was leading them into was a whole lot of suffering Mm -hmm. and he loved them, right? Totally, Because he loved them. He led them into that. Well, Mark, I've had you here for 58 minutes and 24 seconds. And so, uh, if you could encourage the people of Highland, like you've been doing for the past 35 years now, What's kind of one principle that you would leave them with? I don't know that this was a question that was asked, but uh, what's one thing that you would say? I'd say Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Okay. I mean, it's that simple. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Well, man, I'm, I am so grateful for you. Um, but hey, we've been working for a really hard, a, lo- a really long time to try and get the Weibel Party Barn built uh, <laughs> on the um, Highland Campus. I, I don't think it's going to happen here, but if you want to start a GoFundMe for the <laughs> Weibel Party Barn and build it on some land somewhere, uh, let us know. Email Emily Kelly at Emily Kelly. <laughs> Just, just for you to know, that's not for the Weibels to party at. It is, just, <laughs> it is a it's an opportunity for the commute ministry.
ministry to the community. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Uh, well, Mark, man, I love you. You are an incredible gift to me and, uh, and a, an incredible gift to my family. You're an incredible gift to the Highland staff, and we're grateful for the way that you have um, led and shepherded for a really long time, and we're grateful for the time you spent with us today to talk to us about how to make decisions. It's been my honor and my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. Well, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you.